Okay, good. Um, my name is Ali. I was born into a Muslim family in Tehran, Iran. We hear a lot about Iran in the news today. A Muslim country. And one that in some ways has sponsored terrorism. I remember some of my earliest memories as a Muslim. I remember one was going to the mosque. Now in a mosque, it's segregated by gender. And so if you are a young boy, you'll be with your mother. And I remember being in the women's section of the mosque. And I remember my mom is holding my hand. And I look up and I see her. And she's covered with a sheet head to toe. And I look around and so are all the other women. Everyone in the room. And I say to myself, I hope mom doesn't let go of my hand. I won't be able to find her. (laughs) I have another memory of being a Muslim in Iran and perhaps it's it's all too real and indicative and representative of many Muslims they might have experienced this I remember the memory a siren would go off and it would sound to you guys like maybe a siren for a hurricane or in the Midwest where I live now a siren for a tornado but it wasn't about the weather fear would come over us and grip us when we heard that and we would run into the basements because we knew that there would be bombing. And we'd be in the basement of that building we lived in and we would sit there in the darkness. And the candlelight or the dim light of a lantern and we'd sit in darkness staring at one another. We literally sat in darkness, but being Muslims, we also sat in spiritual darkness, which was perhaps even worse. In chapter 4 of Matthew, if you want to follow along, it will be in chapter 4 tonight. The Lord Jesus has been tempted by the devil. He passes every test and he begins his ministry to reach those who sit in darkness. In verse 12, now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. Some commentaries remind us that the Gospel of Matthew is omitting Jesus' outreach to the Israelites here. We can see that in the Gospel of John. He's tried tirelessly with them. He's the king. He's come to his own and they don't know him. And here in verse 12, the Gospel of Matthew picks up where John the Baptist that had been sent to herald and bring the news of the coming Messiah has been put in prison. It's an ill omen meaning that God's own children, the insiders, have rejected the man who has come to bring news about the Messiah. It's a horrible sign. And Jesus leaves, and he goes to the outside, outside of Jerusalem. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The gospel is going to go out to everyone who sits in the region and shadow of death and darkness. And if you look at a map of of Judah and the Middle East, you see just how far the Lord went. He's clearly on the outside now. It is the Galilee of the Gentiles. This includes us. This is very relevant now. 
I believe that this includes today. The gospel continuing to go out to those who sit in the darkness and region and shadow of death. Now the Lord can call to himself anyone. He could go to Caesar at this point. He could do miracles in front of Caesar. He could say, do you see the power that I have? Give me your best centurions. Give me legions, armies, that they might serve me, that the gospel might go out with the power of armies behind it. He could go to Herod. I think at this point, we, it's uh, Herod's son. We see that Herod had persecuted Christ and then when Joseph returns from Egypt, it was Herod's son that was in power. And then so they go into Galilee. He could go to whoever's in charge there from that lineage and tell him, look, your descendants tried to kill me as a young boy. But let's put that all aside. I'm God. You see the miracles I can work? Give me your best emissaries, your best speakers. Send them to me, your news bearers, your fastest riders. The gospel will go out. He could go to anyone. He could have anyone's ear. In fact, he could go to no one and he could do it by himself. This is what he does. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He goes to the weak, the small, the powerless, those who lack wealth. In fact, these men would have stunk and rank of fish. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. For the people who sit in darkness to see a great light and upon those who sit in the shadow and region of death, people are needed to follow Christ to bear the news into those areas. And here's what would happen in my testimony and my story is we would soon leave the Middle East like so many people are leaving the Middle East today. They say 65 million people are displaced now out of their home and country and have come to the countries of the West. My, my family would come several, several years ago. They would come to the United States. First Canada and then the United States. And we would grow up in the U.S., and we would be Muslim. I remember my mother warning me, saying, Ali, we don't live in Iran anymore. These people that you meet here, some of them believe in their Messiah, Ali. And when you hear them talk about their Messiah, I want you to know something, my son. You're better than that. What damning words to tell your son. Yeah, I can tell you for sure, my mother loved me. She thought she was warning me. But every time she said that, that you're better than the Christians, you can hang out with them, befriend them if you want, but remember, you're better than them. Every time she said that, it was like pride going into my heart, which was already proud enough. I sat in darkness, and I was even proud. I would eventually go to school, and I would, event I would actually not finish school, not finish my degree at Syracuse, and I would, the way the Lord worked it out, I would actually get a job on Wall Street without a degree. That didn't help my pride. I thought, boy, I'm so smart to be here. Looking back, that was October of 2007. They thought the Dow was going to go to the moon. They probably would have hired anybody. 
But they hired me, and there I was at that firm on Wall Street. I was a proud Iranian, a proud Persian. I was a proud Muslim. I was a proud New Yorker, and now I was becoming a proud Wall Street guy and rubbing shoulders with the wealthy. What does the Lord say about the wealthy? It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I was becoming, for all intents and purposes, seemingly to the world impossible to save in my pride. And all this time I sat in the darkness of Islam. So what would happen? Well, I got hired on Wall Street in 2007. And that was the peak of the Dow. From that point, everything went down. I remember my friends and family would joke. They'd say, Ali, you started on Wall Street. And now all we hear is like blood and, you know, all this horrible news on Wall Street. Did you trip over a cord or push some button? I said, no, I promise you I haven't done anything. Anyway, here's what happened is things got worse. People started going on vacation one by one, just kind of disappearing. And I said, where's everyone going? And they said, well, this guy's on vacation. This guy's in France. That guy went to China. I said, what do I do? They said, you stay and work. I said, oh, I kept working. Well, God gave me a mentor at that firm. He wasn't a Christian, but he was an Old Testament believing Jew. And he became my friend. I was a Muslim. He had every reason to hate me. He befriended me. And he was considerably older than me. And when my bosses were telling me, you stick around and keep working at this firm, despite all the meltdown and mayhem on Wall Street, that mentor of mine, he said, run for your life. Get out of here. I said, where do I go? I didn't even get my degree. And I came and worked on Wall Street. He said, apply on the Internet. Someone will hire you. And I did. And he was right. Phone calls came the next day and they said, "Uh, we're looking at your resume. We're out here. We're a brokerage firm in Nebraska. And we want to hire you, but... We want to make sure we understand that you understand what you're doing. You're leaving Wall Street and you'll be coming to Nebraska to work. Is that right? Are you on Wall Street? I said, yeah. They said, you want to come to Nebraska? I said, yeah. They said, why? I said, uh, change of scenery. <laughs> it's all the mayhem and the meltdown was happening. And they believed me. <laughs> and I left and I came to Nebraska. I arrived in Nebraska. Boy, think of what's happened here. I'm that proud Iranian, Persian, New Yorker, Wall Street guy. And now I'm in flyover country where we think everyone's a farmer, right? I remember being at the financial firm as a newly hired person. And there's people that are there that are brokers. And I remember looking at them thinking, I know it. I know it. They're all farmers. In fact, I've, I've preached this before and had someone say, I'm a farmer. <laughs> it's a godly vocation. But it was just how I judged and looked down on people in my pride. Those who sit in darkness have pride. And they might look down their nose at you. But don't be discouraged. You know God. And God will say, follow me. So that you can take the message to that proud person. Here's how it would happen. Who would witness to me? Who would I even listen to? In my pride in Nebraska, I remember thinking, boy, it's beneath me to even be in this state. When do I get to go back to New York? That's how proudful I was. Prideful. I remember here's what happened is I noticed a guy who was in that room. He was a new person too, had just been hired for the firm. And he was out dressing me. He was dressing nicer than me. And that bothered me. The next day, he dressed nicer than me again. And I said, this can't be. I came from New York and the cutting edge of fashion. And this kid from Nebraska is out dressing me. I remember the next day he had like 
perfect outfit on. I said, oh, Ali, don't let it bother you. Look at the color, the shoes, the belt, the color coordination. Don't be bothered. He's probably gay. Yeah, that's what I said. And as a Muslim, I was like, yeah, you don't want to have anything to do with him. I remember, though, that first week at work, that proud person, that proud Ali, I came out of the cafeteria with my tray. And I saw him sitting by himself, and he was reading something. And I went up to him, and I said, here's my chance to find out if he's gay or not. Maybe he's not. And I stood there with my train. I said, can I join you? And he said, please sit down. I sat down. I started eating. I was watching him closely. I said, what are you reading? He said, oh, these are books about evangelism. He had one book open on top of another, studying how to be a fisherman. He wasn't gay at all. His name was Thomas, and he loved the Lord dearly. And he was an expectant fisherman. Did you see what happened here, friends? He had his net out following Christ. And I ran right into it. And he befriended me. He befriended me. As a New Yorker, they penalize you to have a car. Here I am in Nebraska with no car. You need a car in Nebraska. He gave me so many rides. You know, when someone gives you a ride, you're stuck listening to them. He let no opportunity go to waste. But how would he appeal to my pride? This is how he did it. He would say, Ali, I like you. I'd say, oh, good. I like me too. He'd say, in fact, I can see that you're different. I'm I'm glad you noticed. He'd say, I like the way you dress. I said, well, I like the way you dress too. And he'd say, in fact, Ali, I think you would appreciate this more than most people. I've been learning a little about you. I know you're a Muslim. I want to learn more about you. And I know right and wrong matter to you. I said, that's right. You could say that all this to just about anybody who's proud. I said, that's right. And he said, so I think you would appreciate this more than most people. I said, I probably would. And then he quoted scripture. And it had power. I wouldn't show it on the outside, but it would hit me square in the heart. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword. Able to divide between the marrow, the heart, the intents of the mind. And it would hit me every time he shared the word of God. But he would set it up like that, complimenting me, loving me, serving me, and then offending me with the gospel. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times I fell for that. Continually falling for that. Do you know that that's in the Bible? Paul, a man filled with the Holy Spirit, friends, he would stand before the Athenians, an idolatrous people, and he would say, I've been looking at your idols And I see you're a deeply religious people. I've come to tell you about the unknown God. A man filled with the Spirit would compliment idolaters and then offend them with the gospel. That's what Thomas did. He did and he became my friend. And in fact, his witness to me was so loving that he already, I would say, was treating me as a brother. You know, I've heard it said, if we treat outsiders like outsiders and treat the proud like the proud, they'll remain proud outsiders. If you treat them like a friend, they'll be your friend. If you treat them like a brother or a sister, they might become a child of the king. And that's what he did. Continually. Eventually, I would get offended by his sharing of the gospel. And I'd say, Thomas, listen, man, I like you, but you don't listen to me. I've been telling you your God is the same as mine. You know, universalism. 
We hear about that a little more and more in Islam now. I'd say your God is the same as mine, and I believe you believe in Jesus. I believe that later came Muhammad, but it's the same God. Well, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to test your God and to show you he's the same God that I already believe. So you set it up, you know, whatever you think, 30-day free trial, whatever, you can get it going. I'm going to test your God. And that bothered him. He went away bothered. But he came back excited. And he said, Ali, when you said you wanted to test God, it bothered me. Because the word of God says, thou shalt not test the Lord thy God. That's actually in the chapter here, when the Lord is being tested by Satan. He said, but Ali, there's one part of scripture where the Bible specifically, God is saying, you can test me in this. And I said, really? Well, let's do it. He said, it's, it's in the book of Malachi. It's the law given to the Old Testament Jews, but they haven't done as God has asked of them. And God is saying, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and test me in this and see if I do not open the windows of heaven. My Wall Street ears are listening to him. See if I do not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so that there will not be room enough to take it in. I said, Thomas, read that one again. <laughs> he read it and I said, okay, now... What's a tithe? It's like a baby's teething, right? Teeth coming out of a baby? He said, no, it has nothing to do with babies. Now, as we witness to those who sit in the darkness and the region and shadow of death, we have to remember, they don't know the most basic and fundamental things of God. It's incumbent upon us to explain everything. And he did. He said, no, it's 10%, and here's how it works. He said, and, and, and the way he set it up, it, as the Spirit led him, in all this, we follow Christ. Thomas followed Christ, and the Holy Spirit leading him. And the way the Spirit led him is I eventually went to like a Wednesday night meeting, much like this one, but they were doing music and worship. And I listened to their music, and then they came down. And the music and the worship was powerful, friends. It was. But they came down, and I didn't want to... Tell them that. And Thomas said, what did you think? I said, it was okay. It was all right. And then they passed the money bag around. And Thomas went, wink, 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 Ali. And I was like, oh, this is what we talked about, that 10%. And I took that 10% out the envelope and I put it in the money bag. And then they put the money bag away. And I thought to myself, that's the end of that. I've tested their God. Test complete. Nothing will be different. Thomas will see. He's been... Wasting his words and his breath and his time telling me about Jesus. That's what I thought. Boy, was I wrong. I'll just pause here and, and show something. They don't pass the money bag around at worship practice. They did that for me. Yeah. The fishermen did that for me. And so here's what happens is I put that, I put that tithe in and I think that's the end of that. And what ends up happening is I went home and I, was, I lived in, uh, in Omaha Nebraska in a studio apartment and I remember I was thinking well the test is supposed to the tithe and all that and the windows of heaven are supposed to be open you know I don't think anything is going to happen but there's that firm out in New York that still owes me $4,000 they never paid me that four grand and well if any windows are going to open it would be nice to get that $4,000 I couldn't let that money go I couldn't let it go. I remember it bothered me so much. And I was like, what do I have to do to get that money? And I was like, you know, I, I think I, I, I remember one of the Christians said to the other, they said, when you want to go to war, you don't pick up a gun or a knife. As a Christian, you go into your closet and you pray. And I remember thinking, if I tie it to the Christian God, I, I need to go into my closet and negotiate with him. <clears throat> And I did that, literally. I, I opened the closet door. I went there. I kneeled down. I said, I can't believe Christians go into their closet all the time. 
And I said, well, God or Lord, I don't know, whatever they call you, I suppose you know they owe me $4,000. And, well, I'd like to see that money. And I've come to make a good offer for you. If you get me that money, I'll give half of it away. Is that a good deal? Amen. Deal. And I came out. Those who sit in the region and shadow of death and those who sit in darkness, they don't know answered prayer. As a Muslim of 25 years at that point, friends, I sat in darkness for so long, not knowing answered prayer to the point that I thought, though I had taken up an Old Testament promise, though Thomas and his friends were praying for me in the name of Jesus Christ, I thought I have to go before the God of grace and unmerited favor and barter with him to get what's mine. As if he doesn't already answer prayer. What were the thoughts of the father concerning me? This little proud kid. He doesn't know me. But I was about to. That week the phone rang. And it was the New York State Department of Labor. That was a big deal. I had filed a case with the New York State Department of Labor well over a year before this. And I had continued to hound them. Why haven't you collected that $4,000 for me? I gave you a case open and shut with signed papers and everything. You need to get that money. And they'd say, yeah, we know. You called yesterday and you called the day before that. And we need you to do something. And I said, anything. They said, stop calling us. (laughs) Oh, and I'd given up on that. And for once, they called me that week. They called me and they said, are you Ali? I said, I am. They said, are you this Ali, this case number? I said, that's right. And they said, well, do you still live in New York? I said, no. They said, well, where do you live? I said, Nebraska. They said, why? I said, never mind that. Never mind. Why are you calling? And they said, we we need an address for you, an up-to-date address. And I said, oh, um, why? And they said, we're going to send you a check. I said, oh, how much? $8,400. I knew right then, that's the living God. Not Allah. Not the God whom I thought was Allah. But the living God of the Bible. I knew it right then. In fact, I could scarcely believe it. I told the lady, I said, you made a mistake. They only owe me $4,000. She went and looked at everything and she came back and she said... No, you're this Ali, right? I said, yeah. And she goes, this is your case. And I said, yeah. She said, everything was correct. We looked at it and we decided we want to penalize that company for not paying you that money. And we charged them interest. And we charged them 18% interest. And we compounded it monthly. And it's been two years. Your money is more than doubled. We just need your address. I said, here's my address. (laughs) Send me this check. What did I pray in the closet to the living God? Half. What did God do? He doubled it in direct communication to me that I am the living God. Friends, I would not, God is, God knows, I would not stand here and preach to you some prosperity gospel about give and get rich. But I will say, as we're fishing for men, what prayer will the living God not answer to make himself known to the lost? What's $4,000 to God? Does he need that money? Yeah, he gave it to me. Now, like a typical sinner, I didn't keep up my bargain. I didn't give half of it away. No, I didn't. Not until I'd become a Christian a few years later. 
I remember I was driving down the freeway. I'm a believer. And the conviction of God came down on me. And I said, I owe God $4,000. I paid. I pulled over and I paid that money. And I was right as rain on my phone on a charity. I remember that. But for the long, for the while, for a while, as a Muslim, I wouldn't keep my end of the bargain. And I wouldn't pay that $4,000. You know what happened? God continued to work miracles in my life. God sent his son that we might know him in a move of infinite grace and mercy and he continued to work miracles God would continue to work miracles and I remember I would be thinking boy this this tithe thing this is cool the Jesus thing I don't know if I'm ready for that but the tithe that's the best investment scheme ever how come they didn't know about this on Wall Street and I kept tithing. And Thomas would say, Ali, you tithe and that's great. And you give more than some Christians I know. But Ali, you, you leave the true riches behind, Ali. You leave great wealth on the table in Christ Jesus. I'd say, yeah, whatever. And I kept tithing. And over time, Thomas would get frustrated. More miracles would happen. And we don't have time to go into all of them tonight. But more miracles would happen. And Thomas would say, Ali, you have seen miracles with your own eyes from the living God. And you're not ready to believe. I don't know what to do with you. And he was a frustrated fisherman. And I could tell he, he had his timeline for me to get saved. Have you ever gone fishing and you have your timeline about when you're supposed to catch a fish? Oh, that fish doesn't care about your timeline, does he? No. In fact, what does a fish do when it sees a flustered, frustrated fisherman up there pulling on the net, impatient, swims away. And that's what I did to Thomas, even though he was such a good friend. I stopped hanging out with him. I tapered my, my contacts with him down. I can't imagine how he felt. In one moment, he's witnessing this proud Muslim kid is beginning to see the power of the living God by his own eyes in miracles that God is doing. And in another moment, that fish that was just about to come out of water, Thomas has got it in his hand and says, get the net, get the net. We almost got this fish. And that fish slips and goes into the water and swims away. Oh, he was heartbroken. But don't be discouraged. There's many fishermen downstream. I would get promoted at work. I'd say, oh, the tithe is working. Got promoted. And they would say, you know, you people that we're promoting onto this all-star brokerage team, we want you to pick someone in the company to shadow. You pick someone and when it's shadow day, you go shadow them. Now there's 2,000 some odd people just in Omaha at this firm. And I remember thinking, it's about time they let me pick who I'm going to shadow. I'm a good judge of character among these Nebraskans. I'm a New Yorker. And I remember thinking, good, good, I'm going to pick. And I watched closely and I picked the person I was going to shadow. And he wasn't dressed particularly nice at all. But I thought, that guy, I'm going to shadow him. And they said, it's shadow day, go sit at his seat. And I said, great. And I went and I sat at the guy's desk. And he, I think he was at the bathroom. He hadn't arrived yet. I looked at his name tag, Dan. You know what it should have said? Youth pastor. Out of the hands of Thomas, into the water, and into the net of Dan. Let's see what the word of God says. For they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, 
and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. God knows many fishermen. And most, the vast majority of them, we do not know. We, don't, we do not get to see. We don't get to hear. We don't get to see. Can you imagine for one moment if you could get a glimpse of the people you have witnessed to in your fishing and your patience and see the glimpse, the vast network of fishermen that have witnessed to them too? I think we'd be amazed. I think we'd be greatly encouraged in this work. And so Dan continued witnessing. At this point, I wasn't ready to receive Christ. I thought, I don't think the Bible's true. Many Muslims think this. The Bible's false. It's been corrupted over time. That's what I thought. Now, if a Muslim were to say that to you, what you tell them is, God forbid. You can even say the word Allah. Allah means God in Arabic. Just like God means God in English. You can say, Allah forbid, God forbid you would say the word of God has been corrupted. Don't you believe in God? They'll say, yeah. They'll say, don't you believe God is stronger than men? They'll say, absolutely. And they say, then don't insult God by saying he's weaker than men and letting his word change and be corrupted. I heard one brother who said to a Muslim, he said, these Americans, if they were to get together with their strong military and try to change God's word, could they do it? And the Muslim said, they could never do it. And the American said, yeah. Word of God's not been corrupted. God's stronger than men. That's what I believed was that Word of God had been corrupted. And Dan didn't know how to answer that question. But by his love and his witness, I went to a Bible study with Dan. And it was at an assembly. It was an assembly Bible study and they would come. Now I would show up angry. Because apparently... The God of the Christians, your God, was the living God and had done miracles in my life. I'd seen it by my own eyes. But I was angry now. How come I didn't hear about this sooner? How come I didn't know? And I was insulted. It was an affront to my pride. How can I have been following the wrong God for 25 years? It can't be that I'm wrong. The Bible must be false. And I would sit there angry at that Bible study. And I'm in Nebraska, okay? And then I would show up every time at the Bible study and I would be upset. I would have questions about the validity of the Word of God, about how this book could possibly be true. And I wouldn't ask it. In my anger, I would just sit there. And then the Christians would would discuss and in the discussion, someone would ask that question and another person would give the answer. That happened so many times. I remember thinking, leaving that Bible study, thinking they did it again. They got together before I came and they said, when he, when that Muslim kid comes, you ask this question. You give this answer and you give that answer, it'll be done. I was convinced. After I got saved, I confronted Dan about it. I said, Dan, admit it. He said, what? I said, what you guys were doing at that Bible study in that, in that family's home? And he said, what are you talking about? I explained the whole thing. He said, oh, that's the Holy Spirit leading conversation. Yeah. He said, do you really think we did all that for you? I was a little insulted by that. But here's what happened. I would sit there angrily and not say a word. And I'm an angry Muslim, visibly joining in at an assembly Bible study, not talking much to anyone, just saying hello. That was about it. And now the Christians are getting nervous. And then eventually they hear that Dan, being a hunter and a shooter, is taking Ali out teaching them how to hunt and shoot. 
Oh, they were nervous. <laughs> What's he doing? Why is he coming? He's not saying anything. He's making his hit list. <laughs> Who he wants to kill. But they didn't, they didn't show it. You know, one, they didn't show it, but when I wasn't there, they had discussions about it. I remember later hearing, on about, hearing about one elder's wife, a godly woman, a, a mom to me now in Christ. She said, she said uh, to her husband and elder, she said, you brought that Ali boy here? You brought who here to our ranch to do what? Shoot guns? Are you out of your mind? But for all that, they didn't show it. Patient, loving fishermen. And God let them. And miracles continued to happen. Just like in the days of Thomas. Dan would say, what can we pray for you about? In private, he'd say, how can we be praying for you? Do you mind if I ask the Christians to pray about this? I'd say, yeah, yeah. And one by one, I would tell Dan what to pray about. And God would answer all of it. In fact, over time throughout, throughout that Bible study, I would come to see that this book was true, without a doubt, without a shadow of doubt. They would talk among themselves and, and they would say, what should we study next? And one person would say, apologetics. And another person would say, yeah, apologetics. And I'd say, oh, these Christians are really sorry about something. <laughs> and they took up apologetics, which shows why we believe what we believe. And they did a DVD series and a tape series. And before it was all said and done, I said to myself, there's no point in going anymore. This is clearly the truth. And I stopped going and I avoided the Christians. And Dan would say, how can we be praying for you? And I'd say, no, no, I'm good, I'm fine. The truth was that everything I had given to the Christians, everything I had told them to pray about had been answered. I just didn't want to let on and tell them. This is what happens when we fish and we follow Christ. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among this people. When we follow Christ and cast the net and pray in Jesus' name, we see miracles done. We have a front row seat in the work to see God work. And it's an honor. And that's what they did. And at this point, I've seen miracles and I know the word of God is true. And this apologetic study has done a great deal of showing me that. And I decided there's no point in going and I avoided the Christians. Now, Dan didn't know Thomas. Thomas didn't know Dan. Now, another guy appears, Kevin, and he's seated eventually at my left hand at work. And he knew the Lord and he witnesses and he'd hand me CDs and gospel tracts. And then another guy, David. Now, David knew Dan. I heard someone say the case for Christ earlier today. David took me to a Lee Strobel live presentation of the case for Christ. I walked out of there eventually when it was done and I said, boy, that was just more of that other stuff from that Bible study. Can't believe it. And this divine conspiracy unraveled. Eventually I said, is there anyone but Christians in Nebraska? Now there are. There are. But there are many fishermen who are called to follow Christ and become fishers of men. October 2010 would would come around and I would be tired. I would be tired of avoiding Christians. I would be tired of everything. I would even be tired of my own sin. 
But I wasn't ready to believe on Jesus Christ and be a Christian. In fact, maybe a month prior, I had had a discussion with Dan. And Dan had said, how else can we be praying for you? We just love you and we care about you. And I would say, Dan, I don't want to hear about this anymore. What would, okay, fine, tell me. What would I even do? This was on the workplace messenger. What would I even do if I wanted to become a Christian? And I could tell he was trembling because he kept typing and erasing, typing and erasing. And then he sent it. And he said, you could go to Romans 3 and start reading. And if you're serious, don't play with God. Go to Romans 10. There it says, believe in your heart that Christ is Lord. And profess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. I said, okay, are we done now? He said, you're done. I said, all right, I'll print this out. I'll put this, you know, at home. And I did. But October of 2010 rolled around. None of the Christians had heard from me. I had avoided all of them for some time. And that night rolled around and it was a Saturday night and it was a full moon out. I remember that. And I said to myself, I'm not going to go anywhere tonight. I don't feel like doing anything. And I'm sure not going to go run into more Christians. And I remember thinking, I'm just going to stay home. I'm going to watch Netflix. And I went and I turned on my PlayStation. I had the Netflix on and I went through. And right there at the top, suggested for Ali, the Gospel of John. <laughs> As we're called into this divine work and conspiracy to be fishermen in a network that the world has not ever seen but God sees, we forget the divine conspirator is God. It is he who is the cornerstone, the centerpiece of all of it. And here, Netflix, the Gospel of John, I thought, suggested for me? Well, let's say if there's no Christians here, I can put this on. And I put that movie on. I put that movie on underestimating the miracles I'd seen. I put that movie on underestimating that it was the Word of God in a visual Bible. And that had power. I had put that movie on underestimating the love that had been witnessed to me by the Christians who loved me, not like an outsider, not like someone who sat in the region in shadow of death, but as a brother to be in the kingdom to come. They loved me. I underestimated perhaps, definitely, above all, the love of God. And as Jesus talked, and the love just came out of this man's mouth, and then they took him and they beat him. And I wept. I wept, I cried, that proud Iranian cried, that proud Wall Street cried, why are they doing this to this man? As they took him to be killed, I paused it, and I wept. And I remembered my talk with Dan, and I went and I pulled out a Bible from under the bed, from my days with Thomas, two and a half years ago. And I opened that Bible, and there was that little printout of the discussion with Dan, and I looked at that, and it said Romans 3, I went to Romans 3, and I started reading, and I wept more. One by one, God gives a charge against the heart of man and the wickedness that men have done in the world. And I, I, being that proud Iranian Muslim New Yorker, I read one after another and I wept. And I said, I'm guilty of all of this. I remember it. And tears fell on that Bible and I went to Romans 10. And as the tears fell, I said, I can't believe I'm going to do this. And I read, Christ is Lord. And I believed it in my heart. And I was saved. I called Dan. Or I texted him. I said, I did it. And he texted back, you did what? I said, I accepted Christ. He called me back really quickly. 
And he said, you wouldn't be kidding with me, would you? I said, no, no. And he, he's hunting in South Dakota. Dan, ever hunting. And he's hunting in South Dakota. And, and I hear other people hunting with him who are Christian. And he's telling them, the Muslim boy Ali got saved. And I hear strangers, friends, rejoicing for my salvation mm-hmm. on the other side of the phone. I'll never forget that. Mm. The next, I went to bed. I woke up the next day. In fact, that night I texted Thomas too. I said, Thomas, I accepted Christ. And Thomas wrote back. He said, Ali, 2010 has been a very difficult year for me. But you've made my year, Ali. He was greatly encouraged. I remember all of them thinking, how did you get saved? And asking, tell us the story. How? Who did it? What did they say? Netflix. (laughs) Was their witness in vain? By no means. Their witness was powerful. But they, I think they got distracted in some part of this and thinking that one of them by some method or, or somehow was going to save. And God in the end showed them, no, I save. You have willingly and faithfully partook in this divine work, laboring, co-laboring with God. And God in the end said, I save. Watch this. The centerpiece is me, Netflix. And God alone did it in the end. But all their witnesses played a massive part. If Dan had not witnessed, if Thomas had not witnessed, if these men had not faithfully followed Christ as fishermen, what would that Netflix movie have meant to me at all? He didn't go after Caesar, nor Herod, nor Pontius Pilate. He went after fishermen and he said, follow me. As did Dan, as did Thomas, as did each of them. I remember the day after my salvation, I woke up and I felt light as a feather. I couldn't explain it. Now, our salvation doesn't hang on some feeling. It doesn't matter if you didn't have a feeling. I just felt light, light weight. And I know I don't have a lot to me, but I felt lighter. And I thought to myself, I think I've lost weight. And I, I went to the bathroom and I weighed myself and I weighed the same. So this doesn't make any sense. And I remember Chris Woodhouse, a brother in that assembly, called and he said, how do you feel? Do you feel different by any chance? I said, yeah, I feel lighter. And I explained the whole thing. I said, I don't get it, Chris. I weighed myself a couple of times. I weighed the same. And he said, brother, that's 27 years of sin coming off your shoulders, being nailed to the cross. I said, that's right. That's right. It made sense. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics and he healed them. There's no case for anyone you know who's beyond the work of God. Great multitudes followed him. From Galilee and from the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. You study a map and look at the map maybe at the end of your Bible. This is all the surrounding region. We're beyond the Jordan today. And God is still calling fishermen to follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Father God, Lord, teach us to be faithful, to share the message. These men who shared, first they left what they had to follow you. 
They took up a cross and they followed you. They denied themselves and they followed you. And you brought glorious fruit out of their lives. Teach us to put down the things of the world, take up our cross and follow you. Teach us also to bear fruit by being faithful witnesses as Dan, as Thomas, as David, as Kevin were, continually abounding in the work, casting nets and waiting patiently, sharing, always giving an answer for the hope that is in us, which is you, Jesus. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now most people have a question. I'll just say one thing. Most people have a question. What happened with your family? What happened with your family? Well, about a month after I got saved, Brother Dan came and he said, Ali, uh, you know, we're really happy about your salvation. Have you told your family yet? And I very naively, I said to Dan, you know, I've been thinking about that part, Dan. We're not going to do that part for me. I'm not going to tell my family. I'm a Christian. And he and an elder lovingly took me aside and they took me through Matthew, where the Lord said, if you profess me before men, I will profess you before the Father. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. Oh, that terrified me. And then later in Matthew, or also in Matthew, the Lord said, Some say I came to bring peace. It is not so. I came to bring the sword to turn father against son, mother against daughter. A man's enemies will be that of his household. Well, that one gave me peace. The Lord knew I would have trouble with my family. My family could be divided. So I think it was Thanksgiving uh, Sunday, maybe a month after my salvation, I came around and I told Dan after church that day, I said, today's the day. I'm going to call my family. Today's, I'm going to call them and tell them. And I had my best laid plans. I was going to call home. I was going to tell my parents first, who were Muslim. I was going to tell my twin sister next, who was also Muslim. And I was going to tell my atheist sister, who absolutely hated God, I was going to tell her last. I'll call her separately. And I called home to talk to my parents, and she answers the phone. <laughs> and she wouldn't get off the phone. I'd say, she'd say, what's going on? I'd say, uh, nothing. Can you put mom and dad on? She'd say, uh, something's going on. You have to tell me. I said, no, put mom and dad on. And she wouldn't. So I said, well, I've decided to believe on Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And it was the longest silence on the phone. I thought, is she still there? And the silence broke. She was processing what I said. And the silence broke when she said, what? And that kicked off an argument and a debate for an hour and a half. She railed at me, railed at me. I kept trying to convince her, no, you don't understand. The evidences I've seen. You're, you're a person, you're a doctor, you went to school, you studied medicine. Listen, do you know that archaeologists use the Bible as a blueprint for digging up cities? Do you know that those who are in academia who don't even believe in God say that this Bible is true? The manuscript evidence is there. She didn't care. And I remember realizing I wasn't going to get this through to her that night when she said, Ali, you've gone and you've signed up with the people who conducted the crusades. I realized, oh, Lord, what do I tell her? And I said, hey, you know how you, you preach about tolerism and and you diversity and everyone's okay and you like that whole message and she said absolutely and I'm proud of it I said I don't feel very tolerated right now so I said to her she said here's mom and dad she gave the phone and I said oh finally mom comes on I was like well maybe mom knows maybe mom's overheard and I don't have to break it to her fresh now after an hour and a half mom comes on and she says we tell you children not to fight why do you bicker and fight over stupid mundane things I said oh she doesn't know so I told her. My mom wept. My father got on the other line. He said, you're tearing the family apart. 
He said, I get it. You're in, you're in Nebraska. You're in cornfields for two and a half years. You're confused. Just come home. <laughs> but friends, I want to encourage you. I stood on the promises. I professed Christ before men. In tears, I wept with my family. But I said, this is what I believe. And God did a miracle. I wasn't disowned like many Muslims are. And God showed miracles to me as I was seeking. And God has been showing miracles to my family. No one else is saved, but God's not finished yet. And he's doing miracles. And I'm greatly encouraged. So follow Christ. And have faith. God is working. Thank you.